0: Head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps
1: us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch
0: today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. I am a rocker! I am a roller! I am an of controller!
2: I'm the night Rider, baby.
1: And it's me and Mama Duke, we ain't never coming
0: back! <laughs> this is going to be a terrible show. <laughs> I can already tell it's going to be horrible, because you and I cannot keep it straight the whole time. We're going to be fading in and out of terrible hemis- southern hemisphere accents that vaguely, vaguely resemble... Our friends in Australia. I
1: will say I have a little more justification to have an Australian. You accent.
0: do because you have like a, you're a citizen, right? I was yeah. My my mom's from there. I... You don't you don't you don't like wear that on your sleeve at all. No, I'm no. surprised. I I would expect you to wear it more on your sleeve. Uh, really? Yeah, Australians are cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are cool people. We love Australians. I just ah. Uh... Man, if if I if I were a dual citizen there, I would. That would be my default. <laughs> everything, yeah. Well, I'm also a U.S. citizen, but that's right. Mostly, I'm an Australian citizen. Because yeah. awesome, I should do that. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna switch, to switch. everything. Switch. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I think you should do that. You know who else is great? <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, who else? Swedes. Yes, they was, are. Was that the most fun you've ever had on somebody else's podcast?
1: It was a blast. An
0: absolute blast. We were guests on the fantastic Film Boden podcast, uh by the good the good uh Gustav uh Larset. Gustav Larset is Glarset, he's our very favorite friend from another planet, and uh Per Johansen. Johansson, Joh Johansson. Jo- Johansson. I don't know. I'm <laughs> terrible at this.
1: He's he's going to have to coach you on that next they, time we that.
0: absolutely have to do that. And we talked about things like well, like what time we woke up in the morning, mm-hmm. and we had to agree, and our shoe size, which we also had to agree on yes. because there were two guests, we had to have one answer. And you can find out all of that in our episode. But uh, most interestingly, and I think the most fun, and I you know maybe you agree, was doing the uh, the the switch up uh, uh, Swedish to English translation of of movie titles. I
1: thought that was hilarious.
0: That was hilarious. Those guys are great.
1: It was a really fun time with some great people. And uh, I think that uh, we're going to actually, uh, we threw it out to them to do our next Listener's Choice episode, actually. And so they threw out the Swedish film Force Majeure. So that's going to be coming in August.
0: It is very exciting. And uh, so, yeah, we've got them slated for August. Uh, Force Majeure is uh, it's one that neither of us have seen, right?
1: And neither of us have seen, and then we'll have them on the show to chat about it with us. Yep,
0: yep. They are going to come back in August, and and we're all ready to go. And I I've been facebooking with Gustav uh, today, and he says he's he's he and I are are both I think going to try and watch all of that. Di- What's the director's name? Uh, Force Who, did Force Who did Force Majeure? I, I didn't do my homework on that. He's essentially dared me to watch all of those movies. Wow! In order to prepare, and he's going to do it as well. Although Ruben he's already Austin, seen uh, them, so it's not fair. Ruben and Ostlund. Ruben Ostlund, yes, and he he actually speaks the language, so he'll be able to watch them faster. I think. Watch well, it looks like
1: C. he's only if you're just doing the narrative feature films. There's only four, so yeah. there's not that no, many. That's true. There, okay. Then there's then there's a documentary thrown in there and some shorts between so, now
0: I mean, and August. I think I can pull it off.
1: Yeah, Gittermungot, involuntary play, and force majeure. Yeah,
0: I'm very much looking forward to it. This is a great uh, a great uh, referral there. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Looking forward Ooh. to having those guys on our show. Uh, super fun. And so, our uh, our episode is Filmpotent 31 and a half, the next reel, which you can find at filmpotent.se. And uh, we put a link to it, I think, on Facebook and uh, Twitter. Twitter, and we'll put it up on the blog, too. Uh, so, if you want to hear uh, Andy and I interviewed by uh, our two very favorite Swedish people, that's right. You should do that.
1: It's kinda of like, you know, we got the thirty one and a half episode. It's kinda of like the eight, the was it eight and a half floor on being John Malkovich? Exactly. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it's, it's like, like. There's something special about getting that half in there.
0: And the uh, did uh, skinny was it Skinny Puppy or Butthole Surfers do a song about the ten and a half? That's oh, not know. it's not the same thing. <laughs> Very much not the same. Not no, not the same thing.
1: I like being John Malkovich's reference better. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm going to stick <laughs> with that uh
0: you uh, we, we also have now now to completely switch gears we have sad stuff we do have sad stuff oh, i hate sad stuff i know all right but go we ahead. we have to talk about it we do get it out there
1: uh andrew lesney fantastic cinematographer passed away suddenly uh, a few days ago too young. he yeah, he's only uh, fifty nine years old, so it was very surprising. It just uh, really shocked me. He um, most recently uh, shot um, the Water Diviner, the uh, the new film that Russell Crowe directed and stars in. That's just uh, kind of hitting theaters now, and it's you know won three Academy Award, Australian Academy Awards. Um, and then, of course, he shot the three Hobbit films and the three Lord of the Rings films, as well as uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I am the Lovely Bones. I Yeah, I'm Legend, Last Airbender, King Kong. This is a guy who's been around forever. And actually, if you look back in his, in his history, he actually, interestingly, tied into our movie that we're speaking of tonight uh, and the series Mad Max. Um he actually began his um his shooting back in the early days of the uh kind of the the um the osploitation movies that were coming out of Australia in those early days, like uh um uh, you know, Fantasy Man and Dark Age and Fair Game. Um he was uh making some of those really kind of you know, I think we probably would just call them schlocky movies, but, um, uh, you know, it was a big thing in Australia at the time. And so he uh, he definitely kind of was born from those projects and, and grew on to make some incredibly stunning films to look at.
0: He did. It is a, a great loss. And, and as we were talking about in back channel, like now that we're in striking distance of of our 50s. Mm, yes. Man, that seems... Whew sad yeah. yes indeed too young too, Definitely. Too. too young any other uh old news old business
1: i don't think so other than i think we can both uh you know uh changing tones again but we can both now say that we have finished the fast and the furious series
0: oh you know i'm glad you said that i did i did today i i did it You did it last week. You already talked about it. Yep. No, I I I got the seventh one over the weekend. Oh, you did it over the weekend. So we both have seen it just as... This is new business. This is new business, yes. All right. So we are are a house divided on this film.
1: Yeah, because I loved it. I had so much fun watching it. The action scenes were just so much fun to watch. I I felt like James Wan actually really pulled from his Australian roots uh, with Mad Max, actually, and just kind of a lot of real car action like rolling cars down mountains and down crumbling parking garages i just felt like there was a lot of raw real energy in some of the car work going on here
0: and and on that we we agree i i think the uh the stunt work in this film was just stunning and i know i know that that's why we see these films these these uh you know otherwise big big dumb films right we we see them because they take us to a place that that we need to be every now and again and i i like that experience i found this one there was just not enough between all that that to keep me interested it was just it just big dumb stuff rolling around i really enjoyed uh some of the car work i thought the uh, you know the stunts were the Goodness, the you know they made a big deal about throwing the car out of the plane. But once the cars are out of the plane, it's really that that it's kind of moved on. The thing I was most excited about was jumping the car between uh, buildings uh, in Abu Dhabi, which you know obviously was not a completely practical effect, but I thought was really cool. <laughs> so <laughs> I had, a, I had cars, don't cars don't fly dumb cars don't fly yeah that was really cool. Um, so and and I also thought that they did they handled the Paul Walker bit of sadness um really well
1: it was very touching you could tell how they reworked it to and you know family has always been a real strength in this film and i think that they've always handled it better than the lethal weapon series did yep. i really enjoyed the way that family was worked into this and just kind of that feel and um the way that they reworked some of the scenes and some of the additional footage they shot Um, I think really helped tie that together and it really made it feel uh, like a strong reason to say goodbye to Paul in this series. And I I thought it was incredibly touching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was the first time you get that feeling of, okay, it's good enough. It's good enough. We can move on from, from his, his particular storyline. And I think they did set it up uh, well for the next in the, the, the next two films that, that apparently are part of this third fast and the furious trilogy. Um, and i you know i i i like it for that reason i just i just felt like this was this is a film that's a little bit for me a victim of its own hype i didn't get as excited as I, as i probably um I, I this is one of those films i should have seen on opening weekend i probably would have liked it better
1: <laughs> and it's funny cuz i've never been really excited about any of these films
2: <laughs> and this totally, is the one that you
1: like this is the one that i totally love i mean i i really have enjoyed Uh, watching the whole series but this is the one for me that i just i mean it really just was
0: (laughs) just a blast you know it was a bridge too far on some of the camera work we we talked about his his flippy dippy camera move right the parallel action paralleling the camera to the action where he turns a camera on its side whenever a character gets flipped and that was so cool the first time he did it and then by the 10th it's i'm so done uh it happens all the time in this film and that was just a little that was a little much
2: Rah, so love. there are
0: a number of those little, little cinematic, <laughs> those little uh, cinematographic uh, conceits that I just got really tired of. So
1: yeah, you'll you'll grow to love this one more. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson, my Australian friend. Good night. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and we spoil movies tonight on the show, the first in our epic dystopian action extravaganza, George Miller's 1979 Mad Max. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at thenextreel. And if you worship the open road so much that you'll risk your life to rule it, you head over to instagram.com slash the next reel and play the next reels. Instagram hashtag ponyprize hashtag guest the movie challenge. Andy, how did we do against Toe Cutters Gang this week?
1: Uh, this was, uh, they were out to get me this week. <laughs> uh, I, You know, I thought I set it up pretty nicely. I was, uh, I pulled some interesting images. This was Purple Rain, uh, the, the,
0: uh, Prince. I, I don't know Come if I on. call it a
1: old classic now, but it's, it's definitely something that a lot of people still have a lot of feelings. Uh, feelings for Pete
0: (laughs) because (laughs) it's best movie ever
1: right but I mean I had never seen it before I watched it fairly recently and I was actually quite surprised at some of the dark tones the film had namely uh, Prince's storyline with his family which really kind of definitely takes a dark
0: turn yeah
1: and so i pulled some images from that to kind of start it and give it a little bit more of a horror vibe and, and kind of throw people off the scent a little bit i think and i think i did a pretty good job it was just that i think it was the giveaway of apollonia uh, in under the stairs looking up that uh, gave it away for paz malty who uh admits to be an 80s film lover so i think paz malty was able to uh um, pull out a win this week and is entered to win the 2015 pony prize
0: that's a good one
1: but like i said you know it gave me the opportunity to throw lots of pictures of prince up and even one of morris day in there
0: what time is it
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh it almost almost makes me want to like dress up like, like that for halloween or something
0: <laughs> you need a giant clock oh, man, oh it's so, it's funny. so we'd good get,
1: we'd have to get that same little
0: jumpy dance going though that's the oh. best part no i've got the jumpy dance are you kidding? I've got the job. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now at my standout desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I just knocked some stuff off my shelf. Uh yeah, no, that's a that is a definitely a classic. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. So that was fun. Excellent. Uh well then I think it's probably time, Andy. Let's do trailers. <laughs> about this film. I didn't even know I was going to be excited about it, but suddenly I'm just I'm, I'm pretty darn jazzed. The film I'm talking about tonight is the latest from Brian Helgeland, writer and director. Now, I know we have talked about Brian Helgeland uh in the context of this show before and we're not always excited about the stuff that he uh is uh, that comes out of his pen uh slash director's chair. Uh the most recent thing we talked about was 42, which uh, you know, yeah in terms of him directing. Yeah, uh, it felt very safe. It, it, was, it was, yeah, it was pretty safe. It, it definitely, uh, it, it skewed low on our, uh, on our next real uh, uh, gang of appreciation on the film board. Uh, we have also talked about, even more recently, L.A. Confidential, which we both loved quite a lot. Yes, And so, you know, mixed feelings. I feel like legend. Uh, this film about t- identical twin gangsters, Ronald and Reginald Cray, as they terrorize London during the 50s and 60s. I think this film is Brian Helgeland's native tongue. I think this is this is the the tone and the theme that he speaks when he's at his best. That's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna say about this film, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. Uh, it's definitely a thug movie, and it puts my new favorite Tom Hardy uh, in the position of playing twins. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to see him do this. What do you think? Uh,
1: it looks great. I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I think Brian Helgeland inhabits this world very well and i am definitely looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with this uh, uh you know this twin work going on with Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy um i i think it's just it looks uh it looks dark it looks very interesting that gangster vibe running through it uh it has a great feel and a tone and yeah i'm i'm excited to see this one too i'm all in
0: it, it comes out uh nine eleven, september eleventh, two 2015 so coming up uh, right after uh, you know kids get back to school you head to the movies that's what i'm saying here here all right what's yours
1: Mine is uh, quite a different turn from yours. Mine is actually The Little Prince, which I, I knew they were making into an animated film. I just uh, I, uh, hadn't really seen much about it. I didn't really know what they were doing with it. And um, I, for people who aren't familiar with The Little Prince, I'd like to think that pretty much everybody is familiar. I think it is listed as the most read novella in the world and the third most translated book. It's um, awfully popular and uh it's certainly one of the best selling books ever published um it's the story of a little prince who uh you know there's a a, a pilot who crashes his plane um, in a desert and meets this young prince who had fallen to earth from his tiny asteroid and it 's kind of philosophical it uh, kind of has deals with some social criticism, deals with uh you know stories about human relationships a very interesting story that i 've always loved, and I was like, how are they ever going to make that into a movie because it 's not really you know beginning, middle, and end type of material, and so I was like they 're going to really have to drastically change it into something that I probably won 't like." Well, then I saw this trailer, and I quite was taken by the direction they did. And oddly, it's directed by Mark Osborne, who did Kung Fu Panda, which I I definitely like. It just certainly didn't seem like the the sort of uh, tonal shift that I would have expected. But I really like the way that it's actually creating a story within a story. And I think that might be the strength for making this work. You actually have this story about this little girl... Uh, who is, um, you know, her mother uh, is is kind of teaching her how to grow up to be a proper adult and everything. And then she ends up befriending this neighbor of hers, played by Jeff Bridges, who uh, tells her the story about him, his youth as a pilot. And he's the one who was the one who crashed and met the little prince. And so he recounts his tales. And through that, he kind of helps this little girl learn to grow up, but never let go of that that kind of that childhood uh, part of herself. And I really love the look of this. I love the different animation styles. And it kind of uh, put a spell on me. I'm completely taken by it.
0: I'm with you, but I think we saw different trailers. Uh, to me, this is very much the story about the betrayal of a young girl, of her of her mother, who's just trying to do right by her uh, and keep her well-organized and scheduled well into adulthood. <laughs> <laughs> That was uh that was such a wonderfully clever bit of portraying um uh, parenthood for me. Yes. I just <laughs> loved it. The mother's uh role as as she opens up this giant, these giant uh, uh collapsing closet doors, and you see this this huge, these huge whiteboards, magnet boards uh that outline this little girl's future every hour, every day. Uh, until she becomes an adult um it's just it's just brilliant and and so this film the the contrast of you know Jeff Bridges next door telling the story of the little prince and finding the freedom that comes with youth and and breaking free of some of these of of our expectations of our children i think is yeah. a is a lesson that that really i i think probably i need to hear as a parent as much as my kids will love as kids
1: it it looks uh, it looks just beautiful i'm i'm quite excited to see it Um, It doesn't have a release date in the US yet, but uh, I believe that it's opening in France in late July, and then I think it's opening sometime in the US after that. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for The Little Prince.
0: Looking forward to
1: it. Hey, Pete. Yeah? I'm going to stick to you like a tire on a
2: licorice ride. Somewhere on the abandoned highways of tomorrow, where law is another word for vengeance. Justice is a forgotten memory. percent And order lies shattered in the ruins of civilization. I am, a I am a... somewhere on the head. A hero is waiting. Draws it at the speed of... Max interceptor for the main force patrol People don't believe in heroes anymore they've pushed him too far we're gonna give them back their heroes <laughs> mad max the last law in a world gone out of control where every day is a duel every life is on the line and every turn in the road brings you face to face with a new kind of terror Mad Max. Pray that he's out there somewhere.
0: Mad Max, Andy, 1979, director George Miller, written by James McCausland uh, and uh, George Miller, uh, starring Mel Gibson, 21-year-old young, shining Mel Gibson.
1: Yes, wee little Mel.
0: Wee little Mel, along with uh, Joanne Samuel and Hugh keyes Uh This uh, film was uh man came out of nowhere uh you know of course i was but a youngster in 1979 and was not allowed to see this film in theaters <laughs> nor uh, was i but uh <laughs> but apparently it did come right out of uh nowhere I, I had not i haven't seen this film as often as i've seen the other films i think you're in the same boat yep and it really i it really connected with me now seeing it i think probably more now than it did the last time when i saw it when i was much younger uh i found it a fascinating review
1: yeah i i, I love it i think it's a really uh um just a, it's a fun film to watch it's it's just very visceral and raw it feels edgy still and uh, it creates this world that i think is um just there's not and a a superfluous amount of world building in this, but there's enough in here to just get a sense of this world that these people are living in. And I really enjoy that about uh, this film and I I have such a great time watching it. And uh, the characters I just really, uh, I I think are so interestingly crafted by uh, Miller and his team and the actors, especially the way that they ended up portraying them, that um, it's it's almost impossible to forget characters from really any of the series. They, they are also over the top, particularly the the uh, antagonists. They're so over the top, but not done in a way where weirdly it doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> and that's something that I I feel like this film stands. All um, maybe stands alone from the series for me, and I haven't seen the other two again. It's it's been some time, but you know I have a little bit fresher memory of them. Uh, this one stands up because I think there is more character and than than in these other films, right? There is more of the um, uh, of the justification, the rationalization of what they do in this world and how they live in this world uh, that that comes from the gift of of a clearer understanding of the timeline that comes with this film that I don't think we get in later films. Am mm-hmm. I crazy?
1: No, I think that uh, makes sense. I think, well, I think a big part of that is the fact that this is really a, uh, an origin story to a certain extent. Right. You know, this is, this is how Max went mad. I guess you could say yeah. we, we get to see him as a quote unquote, normal man with a family and we get to see all that ripped away from him and how that turns him and kind of what direction it
0: uh, it takes him. Well, you know, and we're so around my house, you know, I think, you know, we're right in the middle of doing our Machete version uh, of the Star Wars series and for Family Movie Night. And I was thinking about this in this very same way. I think you could watch uh, uh, Road Warrior uh, Mad Max 2 and Thunderdome, and then go back and watch the, uh, the uh, Mad Max as a prequel. And it would be, a, I think, an even more interesting experience. I think that's how I'm seeing it. I think the way you just frame it is is really great, like to be able to go back and get the gift of where he came from and where this world came from. I think that's one of the things that's so interesting. First of all, it's like a, it's a Western, right? It's a post-apocalyptic Western. Uh, we have this gang of thugs, uh, you know, riding all of their motorcycles, their horses, and they, they come to town and terrorize. And, this is you, you know uh, the hero rises up uh, after his inciting incident and and uh, takes back control of his town mm-hmm. generally um, I, I think it's also fascinating the the e- examination of the cultural conflict that we get around uh both law and order and energy, and that's a thing that I, I it has never really hit me the way it did until I sat down to watch it this time that this film came about as a result of Miller's experience, a uh, working as a, in a hospital and seeing all the kinds of of trauma that comes from car accidents uh, that come into the hospital, and the experience of living through the energy crisis in the seventies, uh, and seeing the kinds of things people will do for themselves and to each other and to the to their community as a result of you know not having enough fuel, uh, and decided to craft this film out of it. Uh, and, and to make this decision, to set it in this post, post-apocalyptic post future, uh, because he didn't believe that people would be able to, to uh, handle the violence if it was set in the present, I think is, is a fascinating choice. And I think it's probably quite prescient. Uh, but it still teaches us these... I think these great lessons, if you think again, and I know I've I've said this probably too many times, it's practically a drinking game, but he's holding up this mirror and saying, hey, look at yourself, look at what you could become, uh, and look at what your behavior, where your behavior tends uh, as a result of being backed into a corner around your own ability to survive, your self sufficiency, your ability to support your family, your ability to, um, you know, to have the things near and dear to you, and and live this the kind of lifestyle that you live. Look at what could happen to you. Uh, I think was just a uh, it's it is a brilliant morsel tied up in this story of of road violence that I thought was just great.
1: Yeah, awesome. it, it there's a lot more going on in this story. I think. Uh, latching on to uh, Miller's uh, medical background is a a very uh, strong way of looking at this and just seeing how things um, end up getting framed through that uh, through those uh, that viewpoint Um, uh, you know I I, I think it's interesting that you call it kind of post-apocalyptic and I guess in a way it kind of is but to me I find it so interesting the way that it's it the the film is because it seems so non post apocalyptic. It really doesn't have a uh, a sense that there was an apocalypse. And actually, at the beginning of the next film, there's actually almost a little more backstory about you know how two countries, the two big powers, went to war. And, um, you know, the world just was kind of overrun by the gangs as those two superpowers kind of destroyed everything. Um, It doesn't seem... I mean, it definitely seems like things have fallen, but it doesn't seem like there was uh, an end of things. And This was kind of the beginning of the rebirth. This this film almost seems like it's... uh, In a weird way, this feels more like The Walking Dead without the zombies, but it's like people trying to hold on to the last vestiges of humanity like how the the um the what is it the m mfp uh the metro force police right how they their ramshackle uh police station just looks like they just set up shop in some abandoned building because that's all they had and, I, and they're all wearing like black leather because it seems like they had been a bike gang themselves who were like well hey we've got to kind of help create some order here uh, let's just, we'll take over this role since there isn't anyone else to do it. And so they themselves feel very much, um, of the road that they feel like their own little gang more so than a police department. And, um, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't, it just doesn't feel post-apocalyptic to me. I, I like the way that it feels, like we're just kind of on the edge of things
0: i I'm, I'm glad you called me out on that because you're right, and i i you mentioned that the other day, and I think it's it's an important thing this is we, we don't have an apocalypse yet. And I think that that's not a good word to use for it. But it is after a fall of some sort, right? Uh, We wouldn't have a a gang, you know, sort of a a do-gooder gang of thugs trying to take over the role of the police. We wouldn't have these abandoned buildings if there hadn't been a fall of some sort. We know that city services have fallen. We know that people are jumping onto... uh, onto oil tankers to or gas tankers to to siphon out fuel. like those are things that don't happen unless civilization in some way, shape or form has has fallen. Um, and, and you get this sense, I think as a result of that, that people have given up uh, a lot of hope and and that that sense just sort of permeates um, the you know and, and I think drives the tension of the film uh, on the road because as you say, this this gang of police, they're willing to do things that police would not do.
1: Right at the start, I mean, one of the first things we see is one of the cops looking through his his uh, scope on his gun to check out a couple in a field uh, having sex. And, right, you know, right. You know, they're 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 right from the start portrayed as kind of peeping toms. Uh, just kind of uh raucous and raunchy they love they love hot cars, they love you know the the just kind of that wild life it just they have that sense, and even when you, <laughs> there's that point when when Max goes in to talk to Fifi the quote unquote captain I guess he is, and he 's topless and he 's wearing like a black leather scarf. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't quite figure out what kind of outfit he's wearing. It's the strangest one, but it's like there there it's not a police force like you would normally expect a police force to operate. <laughs> they're really just like trying to figure out what what can we do to make things work.
0: So the last time I saw this, um I the only version I had was the dubbed version. Mm. And so of course this was the uh, it was on VHS and uh, it was it was that long ago, and all of the Australian actors were dubbed. And tragedy. It was it was a tragedy, and and in fact, I don't actually remember uh, Mel Gibson's voice actor. Uh, I don't remember his voice a- at all. I think I just I'd known you know by the time I'd seen this, i kn- I knew enough Mel Gibson that that I just was able to kind of tone tune it out, but Fifi. The actor who did Fifi's voice was just terrible. And that's the thing that just took me right out of the film. Because <laughs> there is no way uh a police captain uh in the United States would would dress like that, uh, with that scarf, topless in this burnt-out building and scream the way he did with that longhorn mustache <laughs> and bald head. It was just it was just horrendous. And uh it just yeah, it was such a tragedy on so many levels. It was yeah, great, and it actually it was funny seeing it this time with the, the correct uh, voices, the original Australian uh, voices finally uh, has been resolved, and it fit right in. <laughs> like, of course <laughs> I would expect that guy to be topless wearing a right. leather scarf. That makes <laughs> right. all the sense in the world. Right. It's only when it's dubbed when it just
1: throws it just things out totally of whack. It just
0: totally throws me off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that's one. that's what I love so much about this film. It is an intimate, uh, as, as sort of weirdly suggestive of violence as it is, it is not an incredibly violent film. It is a stunt heavy film, but it also has some, some sort of intimate sense of, of, as you say, of family uh, to it that, that I think um, that we really get a sense for, for who Max is, where he comes from. And, and that makes a, a really great viewing for me. Uh, the film was made on the cheap, super cheap, super cheap. This is I like found, we could like do this. We could do 000, this movie. dollars is what they had. Yeah. 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 We could totally do this movie. Let's do it. Just right on the roads, open roads of Arizona. <laughs> there you go. Because, you know, it's no trouble. <laughs> I hear to, for permitting to just shoot major stunts <laughs> in Arizona, I think is really they say Arizona is the state. No police <laughs> involvement. They don't care. <laughs> that's where you come very liberal in terms of police yeah. involvement and other things <laughs> arizona is your place uh. uh yeah so made on the cheap you say two hundred thousand dollars what else
1: Well, speaking to the fact that it was made on the cheap, uh, George Miller and Byron Kennedy, the producer, really kind of just got their team together, just scraping by with with friends and people that they knew in the business and saying, hey, you know, you want to be a part of this crazy movie? Uh, We don't really have any money, but it's going to be fun. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. And so they all kind of came down to Melbourne to make this this crazy movie. And this was, as I alluded to at the beginning, this was a time in Australia's... um, uh, you know, yes, you could say cinematic adolescence when um, there was a lot of wild and crazy stuff getting made down in Australia. There's a fantastic documentary uh, called uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Uh, and that's a, a it's stories of of osploitation and and kind of the all the films that were birthed from this and you can see a lot of the actors in this film had kind of come from that world. there was just a lot of uh you know lewd films, a lot of over the top campy films just over the top silly horror movies. this movie kind of Uh, paved the way for a lot of the wild and crazy action films this was they i mean they were doing nutty stunts that you would never get away with and and, you know speaking to modern filmmaking sensibilities where you have these horrible tragedies where with the uh sarah the the um first ad who get gets killed um or not the first ad but she's working on the camera department who got killed on that project a year or so ago um they were operating in a very crazy ways where um, it's, it's entirely possible that people could have gotten hurt or injured um, or even killed. And uh, I, but I don't think that they were as worried about it back then today. You'd never get away with the stuff that they got away with. I mean, they like when the guys were stealing gas, siphoning it out of the tanker as it drove down the road they were really jumping off of the hill onto the tanker as it did that they were really doing these crazy stunts there's a a fantastic shot um as goose is racing down the the highway on his motorcycle there's a great shot um of the the cameraman is filming from over his shoulder looking down at the road and 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 you see the um the speedometer and you see how fast he's going and it's like he really is going 180 kilometers mile 180 kilometers per hour, which is like 100 miles an hour, 111 miles an hour. That's how <laughs> fast this motorcycle. Just holding onto the camera. Yeah, holding onto his camera, <laughs> <laughs> riding down the road with this. And uh, so, I mean, these guys were crazy, and they were just doing it all themselves. Um, all these wacky stunts, and like the 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 uh, production designer didn't have enough of a budget to uh put the ice cream stand together when he was filming that. So, early in the morning before the scene, he drove by an ice cream stand and he basically stole everything out of the front of it, all like the chairs and the the newspaper stands and just everything out of the front of it so that they he could have it for his set. They shot with it and then the next morning before they opened, he went and returned everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's just it's it's crazy like the low budget World that these guys were in and the things that they ended up getting away with. I mean, it really blows your mind, especially the stunts. And I think that is the incredible strength of this film is the amazing real stunt work that was going on all through this film with the cars the motorbikes, the people as they like, there's that wonderful crash when like I was talking about with goose, when he actually crashes, you see that stuntman flying through the air as his bike, uh, as his bike goes off the road, that guy flew through the air for, I think it was 87 feet before he crashed down into the ground. Um, I mean, it's just nuts. These people were just doing crazy things because they wanted to make a kick-ass movie and they did and people got hurt, but. They made a great movie. Well,
0: even the the, the clip they use during the motorcycle crash on the bridge, where one of the one of the riders hits the ground and the tire hits hits his head, and they right. use it in the film. That's a stunning thing. The the stunt coordinator is Grant Page, and he actually uh, on the way to set one day riding his motorcycle was cut off by a semi uh, tractor trailer, and he actually this was not involved in the movie at all. He actually lays the bike down. Slides under the wheels of the tractor trailer and makes it out the other side in the process as the bike collapsed on him and he broke his leg. So, you know, that happens when it's actually not in a movie, but (laughs) he did make it out, which is a fantastic stunt in itself, uh, but then goes on with a broken leg to um to do some of the continue to work that day to to continue to do some of the best stunts of the film another one Sheila uh, this was uh, Sheila Florence the actress who plays May stumbles into a rabbit hole and breaks her leg and continues to go on it's everybody breaks their legs but not actually on camera and then they do all this, these great stunts uh, uh after their work i mean it was a this is a rugged set
1: it definitely was people really really had to kind of uh, just uh you know I, they were passionate about making a uh, a really fun wild film this right. like i said australia uh, the people in the film industry at this time were just so excited about making these movies that they just kind of went for it
0: yeah yeah they did i love
1: that i love that you can feel that energy all through the film
0: especially in the opening sequence with the the night rider chase uh where they put the the military booster rocket in the car
1: well the funny thing is that they didn't get like when they first shot it it didn't go the direction it was supposed to it didn't crash into the tanker it, swir- it it like spun around it and they were so distraught about it and and just disheartened that their stunt didn't work but then they looked at the at the rushes and they saw that the swerve that it makes around it and how it kind of spins around it was so much more exciting. And so they were able to actually extend the extend that little uh, crash a little bit longer before they had it crash into something else that was right behind it.
0: So lucky and, that they have that second camera on the backside. Because uh, you see it oh. when you see it come around and it kind of swerves off camera kind of backwards. It looks it's really intense.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's really fun. Yeah. I, and also, I think it's enhanced by the fantastic uh, just facial um, effect that their uh, special effects guy created of Knight Rider's eyes, which they also do with toe cutters later, when he sees that he's about to crash. And you get that close up of his eyes as they bulge out of his head.
0: <laughs> as they kind of <laughs> spring out, right? Yeah. That's so
1: good. <laughs> oh, it just cracks me up. It's so funny.
0: We we need to talk just a little bit about the the uh, camera work because that's a that's a thing that really stands out to me. Cinematography by David Egby. Um, now, you already mentioned that putting the camera on the back of that motorcycle and driving 100 miles an hour. That's that's certainly um, noteworthy in this film, and I think it goes to just the things that they do with the camera to change the way uh, we are able to appreciate the intensity of the motion in these cars. I mean I this is one of those films where you feel like you are inside inside the working stunt.
1: Yeah, and this it's almost like this is a precursor to the the shaky cam that has been utilized really well by uh, modern action filmmakers where well and poorly I should uh I should re- I should say um sometimes it works better than others, but this really is where it started, I think, you could say. Because before this, the camera, like all the stunt work when you watch great stunt scenes, you're watching it from outside of the vehicles. You you see Steve McQueen come around those corners. I mean, and there are some good shots of close-ups and stuff like that. But never do you feel quite so in the middle of the action as you do here. Where I mean, the camera is... Hovering like inches over the ground, or the or the car races past the camera a few inches away from it. I mean, you really feel like you're right in the middle of the action, and I think that is kind of what helped birth the whole shaky cam because that helped put you right into the middle of fight sequences.
0: The the camera on the car, you know, the the number of times I feel like we are like mounted to the hood of the car. And, you know, right as the car is about to crash, you know, I mean, those are the sequences that feel super, super intense to me that, that I, I just don't like, I want to see the list of, of camera fatalities on this shot, because I have to imagine that they had, that they lost some cameras as a result of this. And I can't find that anywhere.
1: It seems like, uh, they would have, it seems like they should have had some get hit by vehicles or get a rock kicked up and smash the lens. You definitely seem, uh, yeah. It just seems like it should have
0: happened. Um, this this team of you know Miller and David Egby and uh, John Dowding, art direction. Um, it they they pulled together an amazing crew, paid on you know I guess beer.
1: Uh, <laughs> so that's what they got. A lot of the uh, the 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 actual motorcycle uh, riders to come out for or all the different extras or people like they would get them to come bring their tow trucks out. Uh, Just all of that. They had them um, uh, basically paid a lot of them with, uh, with beer because that's what they
0: had. (laughs) Amazing. As you think about the way this film fits into, uh, uh, I, I guess cinematic, kind of legend, you know, this we we owe a lot to Mad Max, not just in the Mad Max series, but but in terms of what uh what it set out and and achieved.
1: It really did help further this development in the uh Australian body of work that they were cranking out and I think it really did get people to start looking at doing action films in a different way. I think um, having a film like this made it uh, easier for films like, uh, you know, First Blood and uh, some of like the the Charles Bronson sorts of movies to start coming around. They just uh, ended up having a, a much more raw edge to them. And coming off the seventies, which was a, a decade that was a little more raw anyway, this this did seem to kind of be a precursor to a lot of those '80s sorts of action movies. And I, I think that a lot of them. Uh, um, owe a bit of gratitude to that to this film and i think to a lot of the the wonderful car work that ended up coming from this i mean i don't think that the fast and furious franchise would necessarily be what it is without uh, a series like this to kind of give um give those wild car chases and that kind of that uh, uh love for cars a a place in cinema and like I mentioned earlier with James Wan, I mean, I, I, it's clear to me that he, um, uh, coming from Australia, was obviously a fan of this film because I think there's an incredible connection between that last moment of Max when he uh, uh, chain, handcuffs Johnny the boy to that car as the gasoline is leaking and he lights the flame and throws him the hacksaw. And it says it'll take 10 minutes to hack through your chainsaw. If you're fast, it'll only take you five to hack through your ankle straight reference pulled um, by James Wan and Lee Winnell when they wrote Saw. And right. I, think, I think it's a, a wonderful reference. And then when you watch Furious 7, you can really see just his love for uh, j- this type of car action. I think he it was a perfect um, person to do that film. And I think you can see how this film has influenced films from then forward.
0: Do you remember much of, you know, the great car films of the 70s?
1: Um, I remember I I mean I do feel like there was a lot of raw action in them I mean if you look at something like French Connection we talked about a couple of them French Connection we're in the in the driver's seat uh, not in the driver's seat we're in the passenger seat as Gene Hackman is is racing Um, I think we definitely feel very raw and visceral there Um, but I think this one takes it just out of the car a little bit more where we're we're hovering over the ground as the car is racing along and things like that yeah that's that's my sense. Is it, it? I feel like you're still in the action there, but it doesn't feel like we're. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't. I don't. What's the? I guess what's the difference there? I mean, we're we're in the action there, but we're not just outside of it, like as it's racing past us or something.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it feels much more sort of I don't know static. Uh, that that we get to observe the action versus take part in it and i think that's one of the things we really get for this i mean the, the movies the um you know it's not it, it, obviously it's not just um yeah french connection but you know um yeah the seven I... ups um you know S- uh, superfly 1972 <laughs> uh but but even the james bond movies right diamonds are forever um you know they there were there were great movies that really focused on cars at some level, but I don't I don't recall this feeling of feeling of just being a part of taking a car and doing things with it that it was not meant to do.
1: There was an edgy level to this. It feels it just feels rough. Like those other films, I don't know, French Connection has a just a I don't know, that one that one definitely has that edge going on with it. It
0: was a car film that was excited about cars, but more as an homage to cars. And this was a film where the cars were every bit hero and villain as the people who are driving them.
1: Yeah. And, and cause French connection is not about the car at all. No, he just, he just happens to be in the car cause he's pursuing the criminal. And it's a great chase. Who happens to be up on the, on the train above him. Right. Yeah. This, this one really is, you've got that fantastic, um what was it? It was a it was uh the um That's,
0: uh was it the Falcon? Ford Falcon. Ford Falcon. Yeah.
1: It was a, a Ford Falcon and the black one. I mean they're all Ford Falcons. The um the black one that uh, Mel is driving later. Yeah, I I think that it, interceptor it, yeah. Yeah, the Interceptor is fantastic. It's a uh, it's an XB Coupe model with an ad- added Monza front end with a, the supercharger on top of the hood, which I, I think is just a fantastic car. And then, yeah, all the other ones are just the, the Ford Falcon sedans with the V8 engines and that I guess had all been real police cars, actually, um, before being in this
0: film. Really stupid, really stupid paint jobs.
1: Yeah, you know, it's garish and ugly, but at the same time, I love the contrast it has with the landscape. That's why as 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 terrible uh, as they are with the, the just the bright yellow and blue, um I I think it there's something about it that makes it stand out in this world that is kind of just uh, falling apart.
0: Yeah, I think so and I you know, I I guess I agree with you half-heartedly. <laughs> uh, but but you know, the real contrast I think that you get is when when you see the introduction of the black interceptor. Uh, with the big hood cut out and and uh, it is a uh, it's a beast and the excitement that these guys have when they finally get to kind of look at this you know we're gonna shed the yellow (laughs) we're gonna be in this incredible badass black interceptor on the road Uh, you know we can really do some damage with that I think there's a that was a uh, we needed I think we needed the ridiculousness of the yellow and blue uh, to make that you know so much better
1: i think the cast is great i i love uh i i think there's um aside from what we've been talking about i think there's a really touching element to this film between max and jesse that i think is uh is quite nice and never overdone it's just it's just a subtle enough uh, way that they portray this relationship that i think works really well and the fact that she is and their child are are basically um uh run down by this biker gang uh, it just makes it all the more horrifying but I think uh, George Miller knows how to play the, um, the dramatic moments between uh, husband and wife really well I also think he does an incredible job of playing with the tension when we have the scene when Jesse goes down to the beach with the dog and you know something's going to happen you know that this biker gang is watching her but you just don't know exactly what's gonna happen and they drag it out and they make it so uncomfortable because you just never know where they're gonna jump out from and i think this done really well the suspense is built up so nicely. So by the time she makes it home, you think she's safe. She forgot the baby. She runs outside. The baby's not safe. You know, it just it just keeps building and it keeps building until finally you have that horrifying moment in the road. I, I think that he does that so well.
0: And you don't actually see the horrifying moment in the road. I think that is a, uh, it, it's just a wonderful and as weird as this is going to sound, it's a tasteful way to uh, handle a an unspeakable act of violence
1: absolutely and, and I think he generally is doing that yeah. i mean whether it 's whether it 's when the uh, there 's the car that tries to escape from the little town earlier and they race uh, run that car down and uh, you know it 's all eluded that they basically rape this girl and just leave her there and she 's just become this shell of a woman when uh, goose comes up to try to help her you know, when goose and Max pull up and and it's just, you can, you get everything you need to from that woman's performance. You mm-hmm. know how awful everything that happened was. It's uh, it's very powerful, though, the way that that Miller directed that and handled all of it. I think it's really solid. And I think it speaks volumes of um, how he's going to be handling his, uh, the other films in this series as he continues. For well, the most I, part. Y- yeah, I I'm... think there are some stumbles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We'll get, there. Um, we'll get there. But it does make me that much more excited to see uh to see the uh the way this uh, transforms uh with Tom Hardy. So uh, a couple more weeks for that. I don't know any I don't I don't know any of these other actors besides Mel.
1: Well, Hugh Keyes Byrne. Oh, I do know Oak him. He was
0: a Shakespeare guy if if what I read was correct, right?
1: Well, the the most important thing that I will tell you is that he's in Mad Max Fury Road. What? He's Immortan Joe. He's the bad guy. He's
0: the bad guy? Yes, I love
1: that. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> if That's you look so at the pictures good. of him, you I'm... can
1: totally see it. You can totally see it. <sighs> I'm going to that right now.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah, makes me very excited that uh, that Miller pulled uh, Keysburn back in to uh, be a part of this.
0: I had no idea.
1: I didn't either until I was just doing some research and I found that found that out. It made me very excited.
0: Immortan Joe. Oh, uh, he's haunting.
1: He is. His, I love his uh, headshot <laughs>
0: is just really haunting.
1: Yeah, he's an interesting actor. I mean, he's been around for a long time. I mean, and he's another one kind of came from those those uh, you know crazy um, Aussie films, the exploitation films. He was in a film called. Uh, stone which was a a motorcycle uh, gang movie that he had been in back in 74 and and uh, I I love him as toe cutter and I think it's so funny how he never seems to settle on an accent (laughs) completely like his accent just seems to shift uh, from through different nationalities (laughs) over the course of the film
0: (laughs) it is great it's great yeah, it really is funny. Oh my goodness! You know what? He was in—he was in one of my very favorite shows from Australia, *Farscape*. Oh, there I you. love that show. There he was you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> St- Steve Bisley who plays uh, Goose he's still very busy um, he was uh, I think uh, just most recently at least as far as what people would recognize he was in The Great Gatsby so he's uh, somebody who's definitely keeping busy he's, um was I guess an old schoolmate from the acting school with Mel Gibson and um, so I don't know um, if they kind of yeah, you know, just Max brought him on. I mean uh, Mel brought him on, I don't quite know, but yeah, he was uh, he was goose in this and I, I actually and, know uh, this
0: story. Oh you do? This is one I stumbled upon. It turns out it was uh it was he was going in for the role of goose and um uh, uh not Mel. Mel was going on to support him at this audition and the night before the audition, uh Mel had gotten in a huge bar fight. And one of his eyes, was his left eye was nearly swollen shut. He had a giant bruise on his forehead. And uh, he went in to support Bisley and uh, go in this audition with him. And when they, uh, uh, when they saw Gibson and the way he looked all banged up, uh, they actually said they, they needed him because they needed, quote, freaks. And uh, <laughs> so uh, three weeks later, he, he went back in uh, to audition again and got the role
1: interesting yeah so that is very
0: interesting yeah so they got to uh play back to back oh good side by side
1: side by side back to back all of that
0: whoa whoa there's a there's a boy band song (laughs) uh so Uh, that's uh uh, that's bisley who else
1: uh lulu pinkus Pops up briefly in this as uh, as Night Rider's girlfriend right at the beginning of the film before they crash and die. <laughs> She's uh, not somebody that I really really know a lot about.
0: You okay? Except... Did you swallow your tongue there?
1: I did. I just got very excited guess, about Lucy <laughs> Pinkus. Okay. Except she uh, went on to marry uh, Yahoo Sirius, which he's kind of a. <laughs> Wacky Australian I, I personality. I
0: remember, yeah, I'm serious. I,
1: yeah, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> there's that many people who uh, probably think of him fondly. He was the, um, I guess he was considered the first Australian to write, produce, direct, and star in a major motion picture, and uh, which was Young Einstein back in '88. Uh, it, it was a kind of a crazy little film. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> At the time, I would say it was probably guilty pleasure mine. I don't know if I'd want to watch it. I don't think I would probably enjoy it anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she is married to him. She is, I guess, now uh, Lulu Sirius rather than Lulu
0: Pincus. Please <laughs> <No, he's laughs> tell me she doesn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, she was credited uh, as Lulu Sirius in, in one film. I don't so know if she actually good. goes by that or not.
0: I remember, you know, who I I, uh, I classify Yahoo Sirius in the same bucket that I would put, like, Max Headroom.
1: You oh, know? interesting. There's, yeah.
0: like, just wacky character, non-characters. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. Even though, obviously, uh, Max Headroom climbed out of that particular box. Uh, yes. To do other great stuff, but uh, anyway.
1: Right. I don't know if Yahoo series did no.
0: three, <laughs> three, three titles, Mr. Accident, Reckless Kelly and young Einstein. And there you that's, go. That's pretty much it. Yeah. All right.
1: Um, Brian May did the music. I think he did some good work. I mean, the music in this, it's not like it stands out that well, but it works very well in context of the film. It gives that driving energy, uh, to the film when it needs it. And, uh, I think it just works well in context.
0: Reminds me of the Terminator. Yeah,
1: it has a great driving edge to it. It mm-hmm. definitely does.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all right. I I wouldn't put it on for, you know, Sunday dinner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're driving really fast somewhere yeah. <laughs> while you're eating.
0: <laughs> uh, anybody else that uh, you particularly particularly stuck out to you?
1: I think that's about it for um for the cast and crew. Although I will throw um, Claire Griffin, in there, as the costume design, I think um, uh, Claire had a limited budget to work with, and I think did a good job creating these wild and crazy outfits, like I said, I love the kind of leather bound cops, even though I think Mel was the only one who actually got to wear leather all the all the rest because they didn't have budget for it, had to wear uh, vinyl. Um, and so, you know, it's just cheap vinyl <laughs> made up to look like leather outfits, which I think is hilarious. It was
0: good vinyl though. I mean, I didn't, didn't look it, <laughs> like vinyl to me.
1: No, I think, I think it, uh, it definitely passes. I never knew that until I was reading about it and it kind of took me by surprise. But I also love the difference in the costumes with the gang, particularly toe cutters, um, and how toe cutter just ends up having these strange, um, additions to his outfit. Like there's that point where he has his hair pulled up in kind of a top bun, kind of like a a samurai or something. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not quite sure what the inspiration was, but I love the way that it kind of changes throughout. And I think there are really interesting choices in the costume, in the world here.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I, one of the things I like so much about it just is that my memory of um, Thunderdome in particular, there is a of really solid direct line evolution to that film from this film. And I had forgotten that. Like you can see how the world falls apart through costume design. And that's a really nice touch.
1: That's, I would say that's something that uh, I was definitely going to bring up next week in the, uh, in the uh, road warrior episode anyway, because I feel like there's some interesting eighties elements in the outfits still that uh, I think, I think you're right in both of those films. It really is going to, uh, play quite strongly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: Um, The car is actually, uh, they kept it, and it's actually in the car of the Stars Motor Museum. And if you ever make it over to uh, the English town, well, let's see, where was it? I I think it's been moved. Um, I'm not quite sure where it is. It looks like they're in the process of moving the car of the Stars Museum. But uh, it was in the English town of Keswick, and uh, they are actually in the process of moving, it, it looks like. And it is. Uh, they have a bunch of cars there, including the, uh, this Pursuit Special Ford Falcon XBGT Coupe that uh, Max himself was driving, along with the Munster's Munster Coach. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and sometimes they get out and race. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that would be fun. That would be fun.
0: All right. So the film uh, did, uh, it did reasonably well for itself.
1: This film did do well for itself. In fact, interesting little fact about this film is that this film held the Guinness Book of World Records uh, record for the highest profit to cost ever, and it held this record for 20 years from 1979 <laughs> until
0: 1999,
1: Oh, when... Yep. when when the Blair Witch Project was released. And that would be it. And that is the film that uh, that broke the record. And then that record was broken by Paranormal Activity. Um, so it's interesting how, uh, how things go. But in context for our discussion, uh, yes, this film did do quite well for itself. Like I said, it, it cost, it looks like $200,000. I know George Miller... Um, says it cost uh, $350,000 to 400000 but that's Australian dollars. So what I found, I'm assuming, is the American dollar translation of that. Adjusted to today's dollars, that's about $566,000. And uh, then it ended up grossing domestically in the U.S. $8.75 million and internationally $91 million. So all told, adjusted total gross was about $282,000 and uh, the adjusted profit per finished minute was about uh $3 million per finished minute. So it did really good job for itself. And I was trying to kind of come up with that um uh you know, profit uh margin as far as how much did it make compared to uh how much it actually cost to uh cost uh to make and i was trying to figure out kind of what that profit margin is and it it looks like this one is about it's almost it made almost 500 times what it cost so it definitely puts it at the top of the list i mean the exorcist is our number one as far as adjusted profit per finished minute of about 16.8 million per finished minute as to what it made but when you look at how much it cost to make the film, it only uh, grossed about thirty-three times what it uh, what it cost uh, to make. So this one almost five hundred times.
0: That's amazing. So it definitely
1: did a pretty good
0: job. <laughs> These are the films you invest in, people. Yes. If there is a lesson, find Mad Max. Find the next Mad Max. Invest in that. Here, here. Maybe it's Ted Two. Maybe you should have invested in that.
1: (laughs) Don't think that's probably the case, (laughs) but... (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. I think we should probably rank it. Let's do it. All right. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, everybody, and you can uh, check out our stack rankings. And let's see, last week we had some... Was it just last week that we had some shakeups, some serious shakeups?
1: We did have some serious shake-up in we our broke, top five last you week. You broke
0: up our top five last week. Let's see this week how uh, how Mad Max does. What is it going to break up? Let's week? find out.
1: Mad Max or Joe versus the Volcano? Mm. I have to go Joe on this one.
0: Are you serious? Absolutely. It's not going to
1: break up much. It's not gonna break up much, but Joe is. Uh, it's
0: yeah, one of my faves. I know, mine too, and I feel like we have sort of a shared history here. Yeah, I'll go Joe too, but that's a little bit disappointing that that is the first thing to rank it against. It's not my fault. It's Flickchart's fault. <laughs> you're running it. I'm just saying. Maybe it's your mojo tonight.
1: <laughs> Mac- Mad Max or Taxi Driver.
0: Mad Max. Seriously? I know you're. <laughs> Mad Max. Oh my god! Don't even finish that sentence.
1: Oh, uh, I would, I would go with Mad Max. It's, it's definitely a more fun film to watch. <laughs> uh, Mad Max or Field of Dreams?
0: Mad Max, please. Mad Max, sweet, honey. I would
1: field of Dreams.
0: Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. One. <laughs> Are you gonna throw water in? <laughs> I hate you. Stop making fun of me. One, <laughs> one, two, two three. three paper. Rock. Smack down. Mm that look
1: at that all right mad max mad max or the night of the hunter
0: i'm mad max i
1: this is a tough one for me um
0: definitely i would just tell you it's I, not tough at all for me all right i'll give you mad max
1: mad max or everybody's favorite knowing
0: <laughs> <laughs> you aren't even gonna Yours say mine
1: i'm gonna say mad max yes you are Mad Max or Kind Hearts and Coronets? Mad Max. I'll say Mad Max. Mad Max or Hot Fuzz? Mad Max. I would say Hot Fuzz. Seriously? Absolutely. I also like Hot Fuzz. I'm
0: just surprised.
1: It's just it's it's a go-to movie for me. I, you know. I'll give you Mad Max though. You're making me feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is it my penetrating silence?
1: <laughs> it was. All right. 92 out of 182.
0: That is a hot shame is what that is. 92?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a... Uh, a flick chart
0: crime has been... A hate crime has been committed tonight.
1: <laughs> it's because Joe vs. the Volcano is, is at 91.
0: You broke it. That's what happened. I, it, you broke it. I... I did. We both picked Joe. This episode will go down in history as the one that Andy broke. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's our first episode with a subtitle. (laughs) Mad Max (laughs) colon the one Andy broke.
1: It'll have the asterisk like 61.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't quite count. Where do we go from here? I think if it's not obvious... Yes, we're going to uh,
1: continue. Uh, a couple years later, uh, they cranked out another one of these called Mad Max 2, which, uh, because nobody in the United States <laughs> really saw the first one, uh, it, they, they renamed it and pretended it wasn't a sequel, and they called it The Road Warrior. So uh, we are going to check that out, although they have actually uh, returned it to its original glory, and the title sequence and everything says Mad Max 2, even if the American cover says The Road Warrior.
0: So, wait, what am I supposed to call it, then? Is it Mad Max 2 colon The Road Warrior? I,
1: you know, I don't know. I, uh... That's not
0: See, IMDb has it as Mad Max 2 colon The Road Warrior, but... Letterboxd
1: has it as just Mad Max 2.
0: Well, I don't even know what to do with myself. I don't either. I guess we'll find out next week. I guess we will. In the meantime, I'm going to go to bed. All right, mate. Toodlepip. pip. I don't know andy are we um I, I mean the last several weeks we've moved straight to the bottom that's kind of our instinct go straight to the bottom are we going <laughs> to the bottom or is it we just doing opposite of how we feel when we look at these
1: i i like to go to the bottom but uh <laughs> I, there's something no, just so so much more comical about going to the bottom
0: you want to mine you want to mine and find the gems you got to go deep
1: that's Maybe right that's
0: it. mine okay. is from the southerner i don't oh i should say the title Easily the worst movie I've ever seen. Wow. I don't understand the approval this film has received. It bears the worst aspects of 70s entertainment style almost to the point of parody. The plot is painfully platitudinal, the visuals underpowered, technologically primitive and underwhelming. The Dialogue is emotionally and intellectually stupid, stridently bland, if not perfunctory. Acting is poor.
1: Where did that review
0: take you? <laughs> it took me to sort of a Colonel Sanders to my Uncle Glenn, kind of a mashup.
1: Oh gotcha. So there was that, a
0: there there may have been a little Kentucky, there may have been a little Tulsa somewhere in there.
1: Uh you're a little bit Tulsa, a little, you're a little, little bit, bit little bit Kentucky.
0: Kentucky, a little bit Tulsa Lockjaw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: What, what's well, what yours?
1: Mine is a one star by a customer who watched this on VHS. Well, that was a mistake. Yes, and said nothing more than car crashes. Why on earth would anyone give this, or I should, why on earth would anyone give this movie three and a half stars? (laughs) I can't give that up. Out of the traditional four star system. I kept watching this tedious film, hoping that perhaps the answer might be found in the next scene. This is a confused, jumbled mess. It's an unintelligible, incoherent, impenetrable story that makes absolutely no sense. It goes from nowhere to nothing. Each scene seems to have nothing to do with the one before or after it. As best as I can figure it out, it's a weird cross between duel and death wish, but nowhere near as good as either. The action is disappointing, too, unless you like seeing vehicles getting (laughs) wrecked. It looks like
0: getting reeked. Reeked. (laughs) Next time, I'm gonna watch the movie with the volume up. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Ah, uh, yes. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM.